So th- this is, uh, I, I don't know about you, but when I think about how God judges us, good deeds versus bad deeds, uh, I probably never had such an elaborate way of thinking about it. But that probably does not go too far from what I thought when I was growing up, how God judges us, good deeds, bad deeds. Good deeds means good points, bad deeds means minus points. And so we hope that at the end of the day, we end up with more points than we have lost, and that makes us a good person. And I know that for uh, in many conversations that I've had with people, uh, in particular my friends who are not Christian, they, they do pose this question, and they do say, Nate, do you think I'm a bad person? Because... Why do you think I should be going to hell? Why do you think that you need, well, I need Jesus so much when, generally speaking, yes, I've done some wrong stuff, bad stuff maybe, but they're not really that bad, not killed anyone, and I've probably done more good stuff, and honestly, some of my friends are really good people. One of them was particularly uh, uh, impactful in my life as one of my first friends when I was going to university, and it was this big scary world, and she was amazing as a friend, and she is not what I would say a bad person is. And, and, and so we have this, this, this thought, why do we even need Jesus when we aren't that bad? How can Jesus judge me as a bad person when I hope that I've done enough good stuff um, to, to enter the, the good place? I'm not a mafia boss. I'm not done drugs or sold drugs, I've not kidnapped children or sacrificed children, at least not to my understanding. I've not done anything bad, that bad, so why put me in the same place as Hitler will be gone, for example? How, how does God judge us? And this is something that is really important that we grasp. And one of the main things that we need to understand is that as long as we sin, It doesn't matter how much, the Bible says that all sin is the same. As long as we sin, the judgment is death. And this is where it is clearest in Romans 6.23. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there we have it. It's pretty plain, clear, simple. That verse should have come up on the screens. And, and, and so we see the wages of sin is dead. And I want to pause here for a moment because one of the interesting concepts about this is the word wages. Because when you think of wage, what do you think? I've done something and so I deserve payment, right? And so if the wages of sin is death, perhaps the wages of good deeds is life then, isn't it? It says the gift of God is eternal life, but then it doesn't necessarily say that you cannot earn eternal life. Am I right? And so when I saw this verse and I looked at this verse and I see the wages of sin is death, it makes sense. If I do something wrong, I understand that God will judge me. But can I not tip the balance in my favor? And the truth is, in Romans chapter 4, we have another verse that uses the same word, wages. It says this, Romans 4, 4 to 5, Now to the one who works, wages is not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. 
However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now, the Bible is very clear that God wants to give us life. It is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. We, we, we know that as Christians, we, we have been brought up for many of us with this understanding that it is not by works, but it is by grace, by grace through faith that we have received salvation. However, I don't think that that is a problem for most of us, that God wants to give us life. I think the problem for most of us is that the Bible, uh, that, that, that Christians say that we cannot earn life. Think about this. We don't have a problem with God giving us life. We are awesome. You're a nice God. But we have a problem with the inability to earn life. Are you following me? We hate it when someone tells us you can't do that. You can't do that. Oh, really? Don't put your hand in that socket. Really? I cannot. We look at children and they are typically like that. Don't touch that, Samuel. You cannot touch that. That is dangerous. That is what we do. It is inherent to us that we want to do the things that people tell us we can't do. And so when it comes to this whole concept of death and life and sin and judgment, we get into this space where we think that if my bad deeds earn me death, then my good deeds, surely they earn me life. It makes sense. And it seems like Paul is using a word, wages, that adds to this argument, doesn't it? I know I'm making you think on a Sunday morning. But this is important because I know that I struggled with this thought for years and years and years and years about why can't I earn my way into God's good graces? In fact, when I was growing up, I thought that if I did enough good deeds, God would bless me. And that's a very transactional thought that many of us have with God. If I do good things, then God will bless me, right? And the Bible seems to put that forward. I mean, I thought that if I do enough good stuff in the church that God would give me a girlfriend. That's literally what I thought uh, I, I would be able to earn my way into God's good graces. God has shown me that that is not the equation and that He's not a transactional God. But yet we have in the Bible the word wages. Except that that is our English word and not Paul's original language. When Paul wrote the letter Romans, the letter to Romans, it, it was written Greek. And Romans is probably one of the most dense um, letters, epistles that were written uh, because it seems like for whatever reason, Paul decided to put all of his key theology into this one letter. And so when Paul is writing about sin and death and judgment and all of that, it is, it's quite comprehensive. And here in both Romans 4 and Romans 6, he, we translate what he says as wages. When one works, wages is credited as, a, as, as not a gift, but an obligation. Makes sense. If I work, is you're not, if, if, you, if you work and then your boss says, oh, I'm so gracious and here's a gift. No, no I work for that. That's what, that's what uh, wages is, and the wages of sin is death. And, 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 and here's the interesting thing. Paul uses two different Greek words for the words that we translate wages in Romans 4 and Romans 6. In Romans 4, the word wages is how we understand wages to be. When we work, we earn. 
And I think in the context of this particular uh, chapter, Paul was trying to show us that, 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 that what we are doing is not about earning grace, because we can never earn grace. Romans 4 was written to help us understand that grace, by definition, is unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. You cannot earn grace. You receive grace. That's how grace works. That's Romans 4. But Romans 6 deals very specifically with the concept of sin and adds the word, the wages of sin. But the word wages there is better translated as a soldier's rations. The soldier's rations of sin is death. Think about this, the soldier's rations of sin is death. The soldier's rations, what does a soldier do? A soldier fights on behalf of his nation. A soldier gives his life on behalf of what the nation wants to do. You know, I love war movies. I absolutely adore war movies. Even when they get really gross and stuff. I don't know why, I just love them. Um, and, and the truth is, many of these soldiers are fighting in places that do not even, that, that not even their country. Uh, you know, when we think about D-Day, we have all of these soldiers that, that, that took these ships all the way to France to fight in France, even though they were not French, because their nation's sovereignty was at threat in a different place, but they would still go all the way to fight because they had sworn their allegiance to their nation. And so in the same way, when we look at Romans 6, can we put Romans 6 up, please? Uh, when we look at Romans 6 for the wages of sin, not this one, Romans 6.23. When we look at Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. For the soldier's ration of sin is death. What it's saying is, if you pledge your allegiance to sin, you are being fed death. If you pledge... If you pledge your allegiance to sin, fight for sin. Sin feeds you as you fight with death. Your allegiance is what is being spoken about in Romans chapter 6. And I want to show this to you in a deeper way because we really need to get this. Sin is not about what you do as much as who you're giving your allegiance to. In Genesis chapter 4 verse 7, God was speaking to Cain. And, uh, to Cain. Cain had just killed his brother Abel and, 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 and he speaks to Cain and he says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, it, is, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Notice that God did not say, but if you do not do what is right, you have committed sin. He says, but if you do not do what is right, it opens the door to sin. And sin desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It gives a personality, it gives a will towards sin. And that is how the Bible characterizes sin. Now we can look at the other verse in Romans 6, verse 12 to 14. It says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin 
shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. One of the greatest, greatest misconceptions of sin is that it's simply our actions. If it is my action, I am in control of sin. But sin is more than just my actions, it is the position of my heart. And when it is the position of my heart, it is not anymore what I'm doing and it doesn't necessarily mean I'm in control of it. Paul talks about this. He says, I do not do what I want to do, but what I do not want to do, I do. What's he talking about? The position of his heart is still being moved towards God. But in the current position, there is still a struggle with sin. Not so much a struggle with doing what is right or wrong, but, but it's more about the desires. It's more about, the positioning is more about an allegiance that is separate to God. You see, sin is separation from God. Sin is the opposite, if you will, of God. And the Bible gives us only two options. We give our allegiance to God or we end up giving our allegiance to sin. A little test that we can do for ourselves is that we if we are living for our own benefit, it demonstrates, it might, you might not be doing anything morally wrong, but that position is still showing your allegiance. When you are living in fear, when fear grips you and dominates you, your heart's allegiance is actually in a sinful place rather than a godly place. When we act out of anxiety, we are saying, God, I don't trust you to be my provider, and therefore your heart position is not with God, but is rather with sin. When I'm being self-centered and considering myself more than my neighbor, that is also a possible heart position of sin. Sin is a country, if you will, a metaphorical country that we give our allegiance to. This is really a big deal. And Jesus talks about it in this way. In Luke 17, 32 to 33, he says this, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Go to the next one. I think it's a picture. Yes. So apparently, or some people uh, state that the, the pillar on the left is Lot's wife. That's probably a myth. But it kind of does look a bit of a strange picture of this um, pillar of something standing in the middle of nowhere. But if you remember the story of Lot and his wife and what was going on there, there's a very important picture for you to understand about sin. See, when we go back to Genesis, I'm sorry, I didn't do enough research. I don't have a reference for you here, but in, 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 don't look at that one. Just go back to the picture, Dean. I know you are struggling to follow me today. I'm jumping all over the place. But in Genesis, we have this story of Abraham, and Abraham is called by God to go to the promised land, Canaan. And on his way, he brought his nephew, Lot. And when they got to a certain place, they decided to break off into two different camps because they had too many livestock and it was too hard for them to all coexist in the same space. And so Lot decides to go towards 
a city called Sodom, whereas Abraham moves towards a different place. And, um, and so what happens is that Lot and his family, they settle in Sodom, and, um, and Abraham uh, basically goes on with his life, and one day God visits Abraham. And God tells Abraham his intention. He's, he, he says to Abraham, I am going to punish Sodom for its sins. It is a desperately evil place. And if you want to go look into what Sodom did, it is atrocious. In fact, the, the Bible itself has uh, many, uh, well, in, in Genesis, it talks about what's gonna, what, what happens. And, and Sodom is just, it's gross. It's just gross. Uh, to, to kind of fast forward the story, a couple of angels who appear in the form of men go to Sodom and they go to Lot's um, house and the whole city come out. All the men in that city come out and say, give us those two guests, those two men to rape. That's what we want to do. The whole city. Anyway, that was a fast forward. That gives you a sense that this is a terrible, a terrible city. And so God speaks with Abraham and begins to tell him, I need to pass judgment on this place. This corruption cannot go beyond the city of Sodom. It needs to be destroyed. And Abraham then begins to intercede on behalf of Sodom. And he says, God, if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, will you destroy it? And God says, no, I will not. For your sake, I will not. It's kind of interesting. And we were talking about that in prayer meeting this morning, but intercession has actually such a powerful effect. God actually invites us to intercede on behalf of other people. And Abraham does this on behalf of a desperately evil place called Sodom. And he says, 50 righteous people. And God says, no, I won't destroy it. 40, no, I won't destroy it. 30, I won't destroy it. 20, I won't destroy it. Abraham finally says, if I may, God, I know I've already pushed this, but if there are only 10 righteous people in the whole city, Will you destroy it? And God says, no, I won't. Ten in a whole city. That's probably less than 0.1% of the whole population of that city. And God was willing to let Sodom go if there were less than 10, uh, if there were 10, 10 righteous people. There are more people in this room than Abraham was praying for. Think about that. And God says, no, I will not destroy Sodom. He sends two angels, as I mentioned, they go into Sodom and they do not find 10 righteous people. They can't even find 10 righteous people. All they find is Lot's family. One family in amongst the whole city. They say, you guys are okay, the rest of you guys are not. You are so given over to your evilness that all that we can do now is destroy you. This corruption, this cancer cannot spread any further. And so uh, the angels tell Lot and his family, get your stuff, get out of here, because judgment is about to fall. And as they prepare to leave, they tell them, do not look behind. Do not look back. You just keep going. We are giving you life because death is coming upon this place. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is life. And so Lot and his family get this reprieve, get grace, and they get to leave this place of sin and therefore death. But as they go, Lot's wife 
decides to look back. Even though she was warned not to. Even though, think about it. Even though this place did not have any righteous people besides that family. And even that family weren't that righteous. They weren't even that great. If you read the story of Lot and his family, they are great people. God just saves them because of, of their grace and because probably because of the relationship with Abraham who was interceding on their behalf. And, and God gives them grace. But Lot's wife looked back at Sodom and when that city of rapists, that city of rapists was my home. That city of rapists was my comfort and my security. That city of depravity was the place that I call home for all those years and I cannot help but continue to pledge my heart's allegiance to that place. And so Jesus uses this, uh, she gets turned to salt, which is why people believe that that uh, standing pillar could be um, Lot's wife. We don't know. God might let us know one day whether she was really that tall. Um, can't really get a sense of how tall that is, to be honest, but it's kind of weird. But it stands as a memorial that Jesus uses. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. What does that mean? For Lot's wife, leaving Sodom felt like death. Her allegiance to Sodom was so strong that leaving it caused her great anxiety and stress. So much so that there was something in her that compelled her to look back and go, my city. When we think about sin, it's not about our actions as much as it is our allegiance. Are you pledging allegiance to sin or are you pledging allegiance to Jesus? You see, a good way to think about this is this. That we cannot leave sin. That's what the Bible is trying to teach us. With all of our effort, it's not about not doing sin, but it's about changing our hearts. God is not judging us on our deeds as much as He's judging us on whether we have hearts that are able to pursue life and good. And the truth is, all of us cannot. The truth is, as much as I try not to have those inclinations and those temptations in my heart, those desires are still there. It is too hard to fight those desires, but that's when Jesus came and died upon the cross so that he would break the shackles of sin, so that we are given another option. See, our allegiance to sin was complete and total until there was another option, and that option was grace and life. And so what we need to understand is that God is not judging us based on, He's not some kind of bean counter that goes, bad deed, good deed, bad deed, good deed. Good deeds don't cancel out bad deeds. Bad deeds are bad deeds, good deeds are good deeds. Think about it this way. If you have killed someone, if you have murdered someone, but then you gave $3 million to charity, do they cancel each other out? Why do we think for one moment that the bad that we have done, the sin that we have done can be cancelled out by something else. 
Why do we think that we are on some kind of balance when bad deeds are bad deeds and good deeds are good deeds? They do not interact with each other. The only interaction there is is in Romans 4 when, when, when Paul said that the wages, when a person works, their wages are obligation. Here's a thought. I believe that if you, your inclination is towards sin, if your allegiance is towards sin, but you do some good deeds, you will still be rewarded. I believe that. I, don't, I think that there are many amazing business people that do good deeds, but their inclination is still towards sin, and they are being rewarded on this life. But ultimately, that does not decide whether they go to heaven or hell. And when I say going to heaven, I understand I've already spoken about that. It's not really about going to heaven, but short form. It's too hard. Too many concepts. But our allegiance is what Jesus judges us on. And that's why in Romans 10, 9, we, we, we say this um, when we give the, um, the salvation prayer. It says, whoever says with their lips and believes in their heart that Jesus is there, Lord, not Savior, Lord. Jesus is not looking to be your Savior alone. He saves you so that he can be your Lord. And it's by making him Lord that you find salvation. It's together, Savior and Lord. Most of us want a Savior so that we can be Lord. Does not work, does not compute, does not happen. We either have Jesus as our Savior and our Lord and have life, if not our heart's allegiance is still towards sin. Jesus cannot be our Savior if He is not our Lord because the wages of sin is death. Does that make sense? I have presented this in a mathematical way as much as I can, but I know this is hard to grapple with. Jesus cannot save us if we are staying in sin. Jesus, as our Savior, takes us from sin. From an allegiance to sin. And the only way to fully say yes to that life is to say, I need you as my Lord. Teach me and show me. This is the pathway of discipleship. Discipleship isn't so much about memorizing more Bible, reading your Bible every day and praying every day. Those are the disciplines of discipleship. But what the whole point is, is that discipleship is about learning about the life that Christ has given to us according to his kingdom culture. We cannot be discipled and say we're disciples of Christ when we say, Jesus, I need your blood, but I'm going to do this very, I'm going to continue living for myself. I'm, con I'm going to continue being selfish. I'm going to continue working for myself. I'm going to spend all my money on myself. I'm going to do everything for myself. We're not being discipled and we're not going to God's kingdom and God's country. We're staying in sin's country. And so God judges us on the country that we are in. But I do want to bring one more point out. Last week, we used a passage, Matthew 25, 31 or 46, where Jesus is the judge, the parable that Jesus gives of being judged, and he separates the sheep and the goats. And I want you to understand, perfect, that um, in this passage, this is what Jesus says to the sheep who inherit life. He says this, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of this world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you thirsty, give you something to drink, when do you see you a stranger, etc., etc.? And the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He then turns to the goats and says the opposite. He says, be gone into eternal punishment because you did not do these things. I want you to look at this because this parable confused me for a long time. I'm a great believer and I still am a great believer that we are saved by grace through faith. But yet on judgment day, it seems that Jesus judges you on your deeds. Why? I've just spent the whole first half of this message, in fact, two-thirds of this message saying, deeds don't matter. And then Jesus is like, you're ruining my message, Jesus. You're not allowed to say parables that do not fit my message. But Jesus says the deeds matter. Why do the deeds matter? Are we saved by deeds or are we saved by the allegiance of our heart? Well, this is what the Bible then teaches us in James 2, 14 to 20. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? I love that line. James says, you say that Jesus is your Lord. Yeah, you know what? Demons also say that. Demons actually believe that Jesus is Lord. If you look at the Bible, there's some really weird episodes where demon influenced people were saying, Jesus, son of Nazareth, why are you here to torture us? This is not your time. Why? Because the demons know Jesus is Lord. In fact, the demons seem to know that better than some Christians do. And so, but their deeds, the demons' deeds is in allegiance to sin. And their deeds proves their allegiance. So it's not our deeds that save us, but our deeds proves our allegiance. Our deeds proves our faith. Let's say, I, I, let, let, let me give you an analogy. If I say that I believe in healthy living, I believe that healthy living will give me the best chance to be the best me. But then every single day I eat junk food. I don't drink water, I only drink soda. I just use an American word, soda, <laughs> Coke. Um, uh, I lost my track. You know, let's say I sleep three hours a night and then I, 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 I don't have enough sleep. Let's say I do zero physical activity. But I come to you and say, I'm such a believer in a healthy lifestyle. What will you say to me? You idiot, right? Seriously, I hope if I ever did that, you would slap me and say you do not believe in a healthy lifestyle. The same relates to our faith in Jesus. We cannot say that I believe in Jesus but I'm going to be selfish. We cannot say, I give my allegiance to Jesus, but not over my finances. That's mine. We cannot say, I am giving my allegiance to Jesus, but my ambitions are mine. You don't get to touch that. 
We don't get to say, my allegiance is to Jesus, but on Facebook, I get to express whatever I want because I have freedom of speech. I don't get to say I have allegiance to Christ when my actions are not in allegiance to Christ. I am a terrible soldier of Singapore. I grew up in Singapore. I'm meant to be Singaporean. I'm now Australian. They still make me do national service. And in the middle of national service, uh, they, they gave us propaganda. That's what I'm going to call it. And they had this class where we were all supposed to learn about why it's so important to serve Singapore. And, and there was like five lessons. And this major was, was teaching us about how Singapore needs us to fight for them. And, and on a final day, uh, he got us all to close our eyes. And, and then he said, who still does not believe that they should be here I popped my hand right up I said I'm not supposed to be here and everyone had their eyes closed and eyes and, 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 and no one's supposed to see anything and he said that not gonna be judging no one's gonna be looking just like sometimes Christians do in churches it's like, no one's looking but everyone actually is but anyway side point but anyway uh, and, 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 and he literally points me out so why do you have your hand up I said because I'm Australian <laughs> I'm Australian being here is terrible and it I feel like I'm wasting my time but yet some of us are that way with Christ we've grown up with Christ perhaps but then when Jesus says deny yourself pick up your cross and follow me it's like oh but look at that place that's where my heart really is at maybe you've been forced to be in church or you're so scared about hell that you find yourself in church and say, well, I've done the bare minimum. I've said the sinner's prayer. I'm all good. Don't make me do anything else. But Jesus is saying, sacrifice. Love your enemy. He says, use your giftings for the building of the body and not for your own personal good. If you're going to be a leader, learn how to serve. And we go, no. I've done the sinner's prayer thing. You see, our deeds show our true allegiance. The sinner's prayer is useless. The sinner's prayer is useless if your heart is nowhere in it. So what do your actions say about your allegiance? Because on the day of judgment, yes, we understand that we are saved by grace through faith. But your faith is only demonstrated through your actions. Before you make any big decision in your life, do you consult God? And sometimes it's not even the big decisions. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, do I want to be in church? I mean, I'm talking to the people that made, made it. So no condemnation. This is not about judgment, but this is about thinking. And this is for everyone on podcast. Why is it okay to, to miss the gathering when Jesus said, when the Bible tells us, do not neglect the gathering? Why is it okay not to put God first in our finances when the Bible tells us to put God first in our finances? Why is it okay to use time for ourselves primarily when God says your whole life and stewardship is meant to be for the expansion of the kingdom? Now, I'm not saying to become legalistic about the deeds. But I'm just asking you, what are your deeds proving about your heart? 
And at Lyft, we're not in a place where we're going to come to you and say, you have attended three out of six times and so you are a terrible human being. We're not in the business of doing that. But we are going to ask you, what are you saying about God? Is God a priority in your life? If you know that your faith is weak, but yet you're still not at the gatherings, you're still not in community, what does that say? You're okay to be weak in your faith. You're saying that. That is what your deeds are saying. Notice that when Jesus used that parable of the sheep and the goats, when he spoke to the sheep, the sheep did not know the good that they had done. But the goats did not know how much they had missed. The sheep, perhaps they were just humble, amazing people that were willing to serve and serve and serve. But the goats were like, what do you mean? I didn't feed you when you were hungry. What do you mean? I wasn't living in a way that was showing allegiance to you. This is the scary thought. The allegiance we show to Christ is often not very visible to us. And that's why we need the community. That's why we need people to be accountable to. That's why we need discipleship. Because people will say, hey, you say that you love God, but this is what you're doing and this is what it means. Church, I am very excited about next year. I'm very excited for 2021 because I feel like God's putting on my heart where, us, where we as a local church is going. And I really believe that God wants to show us more of His life, more of what He can do in us, what is available to us on this earth. But that will mean discipleship. That will mean that we need to get real about discipleship. That will mean that we need to have bold disciples that are willing to correct and rebuke and to train and to, and, to, and, and to speak into people's lives. But we also need people that are open and vulnerable and say, I am struggling with this concept that God is asking me to do. Life is not found when we just make choices by ourselves. Life is found when we learn how to live according to God's ways. And on the day of judgment, and we're going to talk about that more next week, Jesus judges our deeds because our deeds speak for themselves. Do we have an allegiance to Christ or do we have an allegiance to ourselves? That's the basic thrust of how Jesus judges us. If we can get the band up this morning. One of, the, one of the things, I uh, recently had a chat with another pastor, one of the things that we struggle with as Christians in general, especially in our Western context, is the idea of surrender, is the idea of submission to Christ. And I was speaking to this pastor, and this pastor said, I don't know if the word surrender is such a great word, because the word surrender means failure. The word surrender carries the connotation of failure. The word surrender carries the connotation of shame. The word surrender carries the connotation that we're not good enough. And so he prefers the word submission. But I think that sometimes we do have to come back to the concept of surrender but willing surrender. Not forced surrender. If Jesus forces surrender on you, then sure, yeah, it carries the connotation of failure and shame. 
But Jesus doesn't ask for forced surrender. Jesus never forces any one of us to surrender. But Jesus asks for willing surrender. Remember when Jesus went to the cross, he said, none of you can make me do this. I'm doing this. I'm dying on the cross for you. And then Jesus says, take up your cross daily, possibly with my interpretation as I have. And so why don't we willingly pick up our crosses? Why don't we willingly say, my allegiance, I pledge to Jesus? Why don't we do that? Why don't we say, it's not my will, but yours be done? Why don't we be like John the Baptist and say that he must increase and I must decrease? Why don't we be Christians that truly live as though the kingdom is the one thing that is truly of value? Why do we live as though the world shows us any worth? Why do we live for the accolades of human beings who will be dead before us? Why do we live for what the world says or what Twitter says or what Facebook says or what Instagram says or what anyone else says when what we need to understand is what Christ is saying and what I want to hear is on the final day well done good and faithful faithful servant the deeds that I do is because of the legions that I have and I hope that my deeds speak of a great and total surrender to Jesus my Lord and my Saviour This morning, can I get everyone just to stand up? We're about to finish. But I want to give you a space to willingly surrender. If you find yourself in a place where you have been living for yourself, fighting for yourself, if you find yourself in a place where trusting God is not something that you are willingly doing, then perhaps it's still showing that Jesus is not Lord. Now I truly believe in grace. I truly believe that we have a Lord who understands our weaknesses and our propensity towards the old things and the old ways of living. And He's here. As long as you have breath, you have another day to surrender. As long as you have breath, you have another day to show your love and allegiance to Christ. And so the band's is going to lead us in a song in a moment. I'm going to close this gathering. Head over to the back, stick around. But I really believe that some people just need a bit of space to reflect and to think. Where does my allegiance lie? There's some of you that need to prepare because 2021 is going to be a hard year for you because you're leaving Sodom. You're leaving security. You're leaving the old things. You're leaving the old ways of how things have been. And God is calling you to life. But yet there's still demands that you leave. Something that you used to hold as value. I truly believe that. There's no way to disguise this. There's no way to make this easy. Following Christ is not easy, but following Christ is life. And so God, I pray for boldness in this church. I pray for boldness in this family for us to pursue you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and all of our strength. I pray God that you sever the allegiances that we have towards sin and the old ways of living. And God, I pray that you give us supernatural strength to follow you with everything that we have. God, I pray that you begin to stir up in, in people in this room right now what you're calling them towards. I 
I pray to God that if they are leaving things behind, that there will be great boldness to continue to trust you. God, I pray for a greater level of faith in this place. I pray that our faith will be demonstrated with deeds in the new year to come, God. I pray that you are bringing us to a new place. And I thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you, God. I pray that you will understand that your grace is sufficient for us and that your power is made perfect in our weakness. That we're not doing this journey by ourselves, but God, that when we come to you, you help us, you empower us, you guide us, you enable us. We thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. That's the end of our gathering. If you would like prayer, if something in this message has really impacted you and you would like prayer, we'd love to stand with you and to pray with you. Stick around for morning tea. The band's going to lead us in a couple of songs. And if this is just a space of reflection for you, go ahead. Thank you so much, church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.